Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Clive Urquhart. Just a couple of practical things. You know, we, there's a lot at the moment about stirring up the gift and uh, we're talking about the fire of God and we'll, we'll just do a little reminder in a minute of last week and flowing into this week. Um, so when we're stirring up the gift, what are we doing? Uh, because there's the Word and the Spirit that always work together in our lives. And we use this phrase quite a lot, let's pray in the Spirit. And uh, we, what we often understand, we mean by that, is let's pray in tongues. And obviously praying in tongues is praying in the Spirit because it's a spiritual language, it's a, it's a gift that God has given us in our lives. Uh, but you, you, can, you can pray in tongues with your head and not really be engaged in your spirit. And so praying in the spirit isn't just, well, I'm praying in tongues now, so I'm praying in the spirit in, in one sense, because sometimes you, you can be praying in tongues and your mind, you're thinking about this, thinking about the other, thinking about, you know, you, you can be all over the place. Um, and <clears throat> this is why it's so important that the spirit and the word work together, because when we're praying in the Spirit, God can speak to you and give you a scripture. And when you begin to pray that and declare that, you're praying in the Spirit because you're being led by the Spirit to pray what the Holy Spirit wants to pray. So you're praying in the Spirit when you're doing that. So it's not just when you pray in tongues, you're praying in, in the Spirit because sometimes in tongues you can just be praying from here. So when we, are, when we come in here or you're praying on your own or, or whenever you're praying in, in tongues or we, this phrase, you know, stir up the gift that is within you. And we know that that gift is the Holy Spirit and he's the spirit of fire as well as power and love and other things. But God has been speaking to us about fire. So when we're praying in tongues, we are, we are we're stirring up the fire, we're stirring up the gift. Now, we're not looking for a feeling. We're not, we're not praying, to, do I feel on fire now? Do I feel like I'm fired up in that sense? Uh, because if you're looking for a feeling, then, then you're just praying in relation to, do I feel like I've got the fire yet? Um, so when you're praying in, in tongues, you can either pray at this level here with your mind, with your head, and, and it's more of a level of tongues kind of here that's coming from your throat because you can talk from there. Or you know when you speak, you can take a deeper breath and something comes from here uh, which has more depth to it and more because you engage your diaphragm, you engage what has been created in you to enable the, the vocal cords to not be strained but for something to come from you know, a deeper place within you. Now it's the same in the spirit that when we pray in tongues we don't want to pray just from here or from here uh, because it's a language we have and we're not really engaged with God but we want it, we want it to come from our spirit. So when we're praying, when we come in here, it's not about noise or how loud it is or how much noise you can make. So it's not that the louder it is or we're shouting, the more in the spirit it is necessarily. Because you can hear the difference between the sound of people just shouting and making a noise and when something's coming from here and, and the depth or the weightiness or the, the sound that is in the room then. So when you are stirring up that gift, it, it, it's not about praying in tongues fast either. The faster I pray, the more it's going to be stirred up. Um, so you, you're engaging your, your mind, you're engaging your spirit, you're engaging your heart. So it's, it's 
Um, if I can give you an example, right? So you can pray from your head and just be like, and everybody might be doing that. And you're going, that's just noise. It's tongues, but it's noise. Whereas when you move from that to shekete, rudede, rabba, shege, rubto, rede, rede, rabaha, shenge, te, 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 Jesus, shegi, dede, rute, ki, bahande. Totally different sound. You're not in a rush to get anywhere because you haven't got to get anywhere. You're in the spirit. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to get a hold of you on the inside. And then when you mix that with who God is, so you're engaging your mind with what your spirit is doing and you're stirring up the fire, if you like, or your spirit, um, it's then a bit more shiki tabube, Jesus, shiki dede, rude dede, shige, ruba, rede, sede. You are God, you are Lord, you are mighty. And what you're beginning to do is, is the revelation of who he is begins to resound on the inside of you. And so you're not, you're not, you're not trying to get somewhere, you're not trying to make a noise or, or whatever, but you're, you're in the moment, you're like, God, I want you to get hold of me afresh today. I want to get a hold of you. I thank you for the fire. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your life. And you're just praying into that. You're getting hold of God. That's what's going on. Uh, is that all right? Just to help us, because when we come in here or, or you're praying on your own or, or whatever, um, it's, it's, it's not about feelings. It's about engaging with, with God. And the Holy Spirit is given us the Holy Spirit to help us engage with God. Um, is that all right? Does that help at all in any way? All right. um, so, you know, I, I, for me, when I come in here in the morning, um, I, I, I'm not really listening to what anybody else is doing in the room. I mean, you're kind of, what's going on? How's it going? And all of that. But I, I'm, I just want to get hold of God myself. So I'm concentrating more on, on who God is with me and me with him. And, 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 I, and it's more like that. Now, sometimes it can be quiet. Sometimes you're in a place and you can't pray that loud. But it's not about, it's about intensity. Sometimes intensity can be quiet. Because you can pray like this, Shekete, Rude, Raba, Rede, Legistaba, Shengi Tebuba, thank you, Lord. You are God. You are mighty. Father, I thank you for your victory right now. Because that's that's in that's in the spirit, it's with faith. There's an intensity, there's an engagement there. So it doesn't always have to be loud. But if you can make a bit more noise, then the likelihood is as you get going, something's gonna get more released in you. And there's, then there's a release through you. And when that starts happening, that's when the spiritual weightiness or something begins to change in a room when people are engaging in the spirit and not just doing something, because that's what we do. Are, are you there? Um, okay, so let's, um, let's just get into the, the word. Just turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 for a moment. We'll just do a quick recap of, uh, of last week. or the essence of last week, anyway. Um, so God's been speaking to us uh, primarily last week. It was about the fire, right? Anybody realise that? 
So uh, it's about the fire. And then some things relating to that. What does the fire do in us? The fire purifies, the fire cleanses, the fire purges. God is the all-consuming fire. That's how he's described in Deuteronomy. Then in, uh, I think it's Malachi, uh, uh, he's described as the refining fire. So if he's an all-consuming fire, he consumes us so that nothing, of him, nothing that is not of him is left and only what of him is left. So he's the consuming fire and in that consuming, he refines who we are in terms of to be like him. So God has been speaking to us about the fire. Now connected with the fire is the power. And we looked at some scriptures last week at different points where, where the fire of God was released, the power of God was released. So we see that on the day of Pentecost. We see that through the book of Acts. And where the fire of God is also that God's love is also released. The fire and the love go together. The power and the love go together. And so God has been speaking to us about a number of different things. And I'm sure there's a lot of personal things that were happening in you last week that God was doing, God was speaking about and uh, saying to us. And <clears throat> there's, a, there's a verse here that Pastor Colin talked about right at the beginning of last week in 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. And so what does that mean? It means we already have the fire. So if we already have the fire, what we want to do is we want to continue to live in the fire. And so he says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Then the couple of verses before that, he says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So how do you stay in a place like that, the fire? You continue to stir up that gift that is within you, stir up the fire that is within you. So then you stay in a joyful place, a praying continually place, and a giving thanks in all circumstances. So Paul makes these statements and then he says, don't put out the Spirit's fire because if you don't continue to stir the fire, the faith, the life, the truth, the word of who God is on the inside of you, then other things begin to overtake. Other things begin to uh, replace and other things become important or grab hold of you and therefore you then lose your joy. Prayer becomes boring because you don't see any outcomes or it's just become religious. And then giving thanks changes because you're looking at the circumstances, not at what God wants to do to bring an outcome in the circumstances. So stirring up this gift that is within us is so important because it stirs up the fire, it stirs up the life and the spirit of who God is. Then following the next statement, do not put out the Spirit's fire. He then says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. So uh, what, it's fascinating, some of the things that are written in the Bible and, and certain things in the middle. Do not put out the Spirit. What does that mean in terms of prophetic words? Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So when somebody brings a prophetic word, what does the fire do? Because the next phrase is interesting, test everything. So what does the fire do? The fire tests what is being brought. What is of God remains, what is not of God is burnt up. Now, if, 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 
if we're not stirring up that fire within us. So what does the fire do? What does stirring up the Holy Spirit do in us? It enables us to be in tune with the Spirit. It enables us to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. It enables us to be more sensitive, discerning what is going on and understanding and having our spiritual aerials up. And when we don't stir up the gift and when that, that, that fire of the Spirit is not stirred us in us and prophetic words come, we can either not realise what they mean we don't fully understand them and then we don't therefore fully respond to them or pray into them or act according to what God is saying. And therefore, when we don't believe what God is saying, or we don't act upon it, we're treating the prophetic with contempt. Do you understand that? And so that's what, what Paul is saying here. So do not put out the Spirit's fire because if you do or if you don't continue to stir up the fire, then, then you will treat prophetic words. You'll, you'll retreat what God is bringing with contempt. You won't act upon it. You won't believe it. You won't respond to it in whatever way is needed. Then it says, so test everything. So that fire is the testing place. Hold on to the good which if you're testing everything, then you know this is this, that. It, you know when we prophesy, um, uh, or you're writing down everything God is saying to you. Not, maybe not every single word in one sense is like, was that bit God, was that bit God? But you know when you hear something and God is speaking, you know, yeah, that's from God. Or you're like, mm, that's a bit off. Or you might, you know, hear a word and you say, yeah, that, actually that bit was really spot on, but that was a little bit, okay, I get it, but maybe somebody adds some stuff to the end of the prophetic word. And that's why that sensitivity, that discerning, the fire of the Spirit we're stirring up in us enables us to be in tune to discern what is going on in uh, any situation. Then look at this one. It says, avoid every kind of evil. So what does the fire do? The fire enables us to resist temptation. So the enemy is constantly tempting us all the time in different ways. And, and <clears throat> when we're stirring up that gift, when we're stirring up the fire that is within us, there's the, what, what is going on in you because you're constantly stirring it and you want to be in tune with the Spirit, you're wanting to hear His voice and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. There's stuff that comes from the left or to the right or this and, and you're quicker to discern. That's a temptation. I'm not having that. I don't want anything to do with that. And the fire is at work in us that resists that temptation. And that's what's kind of going on in us. Avoid every kind of evil. We become more aware of what is not of God and what is of God. And how many of you know the enemy's subtle sometimes? One of the main ways the enemy works is seduction. And how does seduction work? Seduction works initially with a thought. Here's just a thought. And what you do with that thought is really important. Uh, because if, if, you, if you think on that thought that the enemy is trying to sow and that thought becomes a thought pattern, that thought pattern begins to build a picture in your mind. And when you begin to build a picture, it then connects with your emotions, your imagination, or imagination first, then your emotions. Once your emotions get involved, it then begins to have an, have an effect on you. It puts a little bit of a hook inside you because you haven't gone, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not listening to that. That's just the enemy. Get lost. I'm not interested. Uh, and, and something then begins to develop in you. Once there's a hook there and if you don't deal with it and you keep thinking on it, it then begins a little desire in you. If you don't deal with that, that desire grows. If you don't deal with that, it then turns into 
action and you act upon it and the next thing you feel, oh, you know, why didn't I do, you know, oh, I shouldn't have done that or, or whatever. And what does the fire do? Because Jesus came with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Paul is saying, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Why? Because both of them knew if you don't keep stirring up the fire, there's enough that goes on around us in our lives. There's enough of the enemy coming to try and trip us up and uh, trip us up that if we don't put out the Spirit's fire, we're going to get caught in something else. Something else is going to create a fire on the inside of us. You know, um, this is a bit of a side thing. I'll just go there because it's a thought that's come to mind. Um, the word kiss... The word kiss means to kindle. So when you're in a, uh, before you get married, okay, so here's, here's, here's a sex education lesson. Is that all right? Are you ready for that? I wasn't expecting this, but here we go. All right. Now, sex, sexual intercourse is designed by God, created by God to be within the context of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Okay, Now, the whole act of sexual intercourse starts because you, you, you love them, you desire them, you want to be with them, right? But how that is, you've come at the right moment, we're just doing a sex education lesson, is that all right? <laughs> Are you leaving? Oh, you're going to have to listen to it. I've got three kids. So you got, I know you've got three kids. <laughs> A lot of these guys haven't yet. So, uh, anyway, see you later, mate. Thanks for coming. I'll let you know why. All right, bless you. All right. Okay. So, the word kiss means to kindle. When you kiss somebody, not just when you greet them and give them a peck on the cheek, but if you kiss somebody on the lips, what begins to happen? You begin to kindle a fire that as far as God is concerned, is, an, is not supposed to be put out. So that's why before you get married, you don't want to snog your girlfriend, boyfriend, fiancé or whatever. Because what you do, or kiss them on the lips, let's put it in a nice way, because what you do is you begin to kindle a fire that is not supposed to be put out. And once you start that fire, it's very, very difficult to put it out. Some of you will know that from your experience. Every, we're all forgiven. We've got a new start. There's no condemnation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so that's history. So if we understand that's how it works physically, to kiss is to kindle, and, and all that then follows okay, between a husband and a wife, obviously in a, in a relationship outside of marriage, you don't want to kindle something that's not supposed to be kindled until you've got married. Now, in our relationship with God, the Bible sometimes references in places, our relationship with God is an intimate relationship. And therefore, when we are in relationship with God, we want to kiss him and he wants to kiss us. Now, to kiss somebody is to be intimate with them. You can't kiss two people at the same time. You can try, but you can only kiss somebody on the lips. You can only kiss one person on the lips. You can only be intimate with one person at a time. And so 
We want to kiss Jesus. Now, we're not talking about a sexual thing here. Now, we're talking about intimacy with God. So when you kiss him, when you're intimate with him, when you stir up that gift within him, this is why it's not about noise and just praying from here. This is relationship with the Father, relationship with Jesus, relationship with the Holy Spirit. When we begin to pray in tongues, when we begin to engage in him, when we begin to worship him with everything we have, because physically between a man and a woman, when they have sex together, it involves everything of who you are in that moment. And the same in our relationship with God. He wants us to be fully involved with him, engaged with him, because he fully involves, engages himself with us. And so when we begin to pray in tongues or we worship or we give ourselves to him, something's getting kindled. We're beginning to kiss him. We're beginning to engage with him. And something begins to get kindled on the inside of fire that is not supposed to be put out. So that's why Paul says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Continue to um, stir up, continue to kiss. So that, that fire is kindled, that fire is stirred on the inside. It wasn't too embarrassing, was it, that? We didn't go into any real details, surface level. All right. Um, okay, so God's means, now what I want you to do is turn to Mark chapter 8. As you're turning there, uh, it says, avoid every kind of evil. So if we're, if we're stirring up that fire and kissing Jesus and stirring up that fire, then your heart, your emotions, your body, your life is being given to him. Now, in my marriage, my wife loves Jesus more than she loves me. She'd spend, she, she likes spending more time with Jesus than I think she, she, with me, right? <laughs> and... Um, because he's a nicer bloke than I am, probably. Um, I don't have a problem with that, because I'd rather have a wife that is in love with Jesus and everything that flows from that than not in love with Jesus, but she loves me. And, and so um, what it says here in the next couple of verses, before, you're in Mark 8, just stay there, wait there. It says in verse 23 of this, 1 Thessalonians 5, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Stay in the fire. Stay in the fire. Stay in the fire. Keep stirring up that gift that is in you. When do things get boring? When you don't stir up the fire. Wherever there's fire, it attracts people. Well, how many of you have seen a fire and you just walk past it? When there's fire, you stop and you look at it. We've got a fire in our lounge and, uh, and sometimes, you know, you light the thing and sometimes you just sit there staring at it because it's raging away and some, for some reason, it's just captivating. You're looking at it going, it's amazing. And, and, and there's never one flame that is the same as another one. Everything's different. You put another bit of coal on there or a log on there and it creates a different type of look and, fit, and it's chucking heat out but you're looking at it and, and it can be a bit mesmerising. You know, it's like, oh, it's great. And it, that's what the fire of God is like. But when the fire goes out, there's nothing to look at. When the fire goes out, the heat dissipates. And so we want to continue to stir up that gift, stir up the fire that is within us. Okay, so Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 8. I want to start at verse 31 here.
So this is just after the, the, uh, Peter uh, has kind of spoken out that Jesus is the Christ, that whole revelation of um, uh, that in Caesarea Philippi, which was a place that was full of other false um, altars where, where people worshipped all different gods and idols. And in that place, Jesus said, well, in the midst of all this lot, all these other gods, who do you say I am? And they're like, well, you are the Christ. You are the true living God. You are the son of God. So in that um, place, he then said, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer. So the revelation they've just had is Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that has come to save us. That's what they understood. He's the Messiah. Then, then this follows on, really important. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, in, 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 if, the, if the Christ has come, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, what do we want to look at for a few minutes this morning? I want to just talk about Eternal and temporal. The eternal or temporal. What is eternal? Eternal is something that lives or goes on forever. The Bible says the souls of men, every person that has ever lived, is living now and will ever live, is going to go into eternity. Now, the kind of eternity that we have or someone has is determined by the decision they make on earth while they're alive and then how they live out that decision once they've made it. Um, so etern- everybody's going to go into eternity. Now, there's another word that I use there, temporal. What does that mean? That means the now. It means the natural. Something that is temporal doesn't last. It will either fade away or it dies and that's the end of it, it's temporal. It's only for a moment or for a few years. So our physical bodies are temporal. We live however long, 70, 80, 90 years, and then we physically die. But your soul doesn't die. And so what eternity looks like depends on what happens now in your life here. So Jesus begins to go into something now that is defining the eternal or the temporal and what it, the choice that you have and what that then looks like. So he begins to teach or speak. The son of man is going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, Jesus is thinking eternal. What he is saying is eternal right now. He's saying, you've just recognised something eternal a minute ago that that I'm the son of man, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the son of the living God. You've had a revelation of something spiritual that is eternal. So now I'm going to give you some more understanding of that. And he says, now as the son of man, as the Christ, as the Messiah, I'm going to go through something in order to fulfil the revelation that you've just had. Now, Peter, one minute, has a revelation and he's operating spiritually. 
the next minute when Jesus says what he did about being dealt with by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he's going to be killed by them. Peter then operates in the natural and he, and he pulls Jesus aside and, and, and he says to, uh, and took Jesus and began to rebuke him. Interesting, isn't it? How we can be in the spirit one minute and then think in temporal or in the flesh or whatever you want to call it, the next. So Peter was operating with a temp. He didn't like what he heard. He didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Because he didn't understand what Jesus was saying, he then acted in a temporal way. He acted in an unbelieving way, if we can put it that way. But let's use this word, temporal. His, his response was temporal, not eternal. He didn't hear Jesus say that and go, right, amen, yeah. He heard it and said, oh, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. No, no, Jesus, Jesus, hang on a minute. That's not going to happen to you. That doesn't fit the plan. That doesn't look right. Doesn't sound right. Doesn't, okay. So there, there wasn't that discernment at that moment. Let's just keep moving on, right? Verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, he rebuked Peter, but what was he really doing? He was speaking to the enemy. See, what does the devil want to do? The devil wants us to live in the temporal. He wants us to live in the now. He wants our lives to be grabbed by the now, by the stuff that is around us. We'll come into that a bit more in a minute. And so the devil does not want us to... to have our spiritual antennas up and discern what is going on in the spirit because if we're stirring up the fire as we've heard and if we're stirring up that gift, the Holy Spirit in us and we're sensitive to the voice of the spirit, we don't treat prophetic words with contempt. We're allowing the, the fire to keep us from sin because temptation doesn't grab us or excite us or entice us in any way. And so the enemy has to try and get us out of being in the spirit. He has to try and dull down the fire to get us to stop living in the, the eternal and get us to live in the temporal, to live in the now. If I could just get that person to feel some, some desire for that or for this or for that person or for the other or whatever it might be, then I'm gonna, the, the fire is going to dull down. They're going to go off the boil. After a while, they're going to wonder where God is and he's not answering their prayers and things start and therefore I then trip them over. That's how he works. <clears throat> so Jesus is rebuking the devil because he knows how the devil works. So he's taking authority over the, the enemy so that Peter doesn't stay in the temple but comes back into that revelation of what he just had, that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah. When we don't understand uh, something of the Spirit or what God is doing or how he's working... Sometimes we get upset. Sometimes we react. Sometimes we can get annoyed. Sometimes we can get annoyed with God, uh, let alone other people. Sometimes God can be taking you on a path somewhere. He's spoken to you and then you try and work that out in your own. You, you begin to run ahead of God and suddenly you wonder, where is he? What's going on? And things aren't happening in the way that you think they should or were going to. And God's saying, well, you, you run ahead of me. Just hang on. Come back here a minute. And so we need to understand the eternal purposes of what God is doing in any given moment. What does he then say? He says, you do not have the mind, uh, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. 
People that don't know God are living in the temple, on their live, well, they're living for the temple because they don't have an eternal mindset. They don't understand spiritual things. Therefore, they're living for the next job, the next pay rise, the next car, the next house, the next relationship, uh, the next whatever it might be. I don't know, whatever they do at the weekend, the hobby, the sport, the interest they have. They're living for the now. Because there's no eternal mindset in a lot of people's minds, it's I'm going to make the most of this life because this is the only one that I have. So I want to make as much money as I can to have the best life that I can. You can understand how people think, right? Um, Others, maybe they're not motivated by that. The more money I have, the bit that maybe some others have got an interest in some way where they're like, I just enjoy this and I want to get the most enjoyment out of that because I've only got one life to live, so I want to enjoy it. Now, God wants us to enjoy our lives. He's given us a life to enjoy. But we know that the joy of life ultimately for them is to know him. And the other joys that seem to now be more important than the joy of something or stuff or whatever we used to chase after, we know now the joy is more to walk with God and, and please him and see him do things in us and through us. That brings more joy and satisfaction to us now than what we used to chase after, what we used to go after. Are you there? And so Jesus is saying, Peter, at that moment, you, you, were, you had the things of men in mind, not the things of God. So let's just keep going. Then he called the crowd to him, verse 34, along with his disciples and said, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? Now, we know here that we don't fight the flesh. If we fight the flesh, we lose. So what does the Bible say? It says, so to the spirit, so to the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. If you try and resist the flesh and fight the flesh, you only get drawn more into the flesh. But if you sow to the spirit, then the things of the spirit, the desires of the spirit begin to grow on the inside of you. And then therefore the desires of the flesh don't interest you or can't get a hold of you in the same way. And we know all this stuff. It's pretty straightforward. And that's why God is speaking about the fire. Because when we're praying the Spirit and we're stirring up that gift, we are sowing to the Spirit in our lives and therefore the things of God uh, that are not of God become less. That's why you, the, the Word says that God, we, uh, He needs to become more so that I become less, not I'll become less so that He becomes more. If I become less, I'm focusing on me being less, not him being more. But if I focus on him being more, then I become less in the way I'm living because my, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbed by him and his desires and who he is, not by mine or what I want. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross daily. What does that mean? Well, in simple terms, it means we surrender ourselves. Every day is new. And when we get up in the morning, the first thing we're doing is submitting ourselves to him. Father, I thank you that you are Lord today. I thank you that you are my salvation today. I just want to submit and surrender to you today, right at the beginning, that you're my Lord, you're my King, you're my Saviour. I thank you, Jesus. Today I want to live in you. And I know you're, you're already in me, but I want to live in you in the way that I live today, the way that I think today. I want you to be Lord in the way that I live and the decisions that go on today. I thank you, Jesus. And, and you begin like that 
because you're saying, Father, I surrender and submit who I am to you. I want your life to flow in me today, not my own life. I want your life to flow today. So what are we doing? We're taking up, we're denying ourselves and taking up our cross. What does that mean? There can be a moment in the day where something happens and we have a choice. Am I going to deny myself in this moment? So I could react, I could get angry, could get annoyed, could take offence, could get upset. And on one level, because of whatever's happened, you might have the right in the natural, in the temporal, to say, well, they did this, I've got a right to be angry. But our response is not to be angry. It's, I'm not going to allow that to drive me, affect me, lead me, and determine how I'm going to live now, feel now, think now. So that, whatever's been said or done, or the circumstance, the pressure, the tension, or whatever it might be, the need, that's not going to dictate to me. So I'm going to deny my natural reaction and response to that, and instead I'm going to have like a temporal one, I'm going to have an eternal one, because I'm living for eternal purposes, not natural. So therefore... I'm going to deny myself and what I think I have the right for or should do or could do, but actually I'm going to forgive. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to let that go. That's denying self. So what else does it look like? Now, Beth led the prayer meeting yesterday lunchtime. She did a great job, didn't she? Great prayer meeting. But towards the beginning when she, she was beginning to lead us in prayer, um, she said something really honest. And, and made herself pretty vulnerable and potentially could have been misunderstood by what she said. Now, she said something like, um, in, in one of the meetings last week at some point, I can't remember which one you said, uh, which one it was, but one of the meetings last week, um, she said, God spoke to me and said, was it, do you want or do you desire alcohol more than me? Was it desire or want, something like that. Do you love or something like that. Do you, do you want this more than me? Now, that kind of question is very personal. Um, and whatever the response was, and we're all here and we heard that. What, 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 and, and ultimately, in that moment, it was um, God wanted to break something in her family, but also for her, her understanding of what God was saying to her at that moment was not to drink alcohol anymore. Uh, now, I would never preach, you shouldn't drink alcohol, don't drink, you know, you shouldn't, or anything like that, right? Because that becomes law. Now, when God speaks to somebody like that, there's revelation, there's something is happening at that moment between God and that person. Now, when God is speaking, he doesn't just do it for the sake of it, you know, well, I'm just going to, you know, just give him a tough time for the sake of it, you know. It's because he wants to do something in us for a reason. And... In that moment, when he spoke to Beth about, do you, do you want this more than me? And, and that conversation then went on. And her understanding, okay, Father, I, I'll, I'll, stop, I'll give up alcohol for the rest of my life then. Now, that, that revelation, as she responds to it, becomes grace in her life to live it out. So therefore, it's not anymore, oh, I'm going to miss this or, you know, or whatever it is. Because when God speaks in that way, there's grace. But there still has to be a response, a decision in her heart. Okay, I've got a decision now. Am I going to deny something that I like and I want? 
And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But obviously God wants to do something in me for whatever reason and the way he wants me to live that I'm prepared to say, okay, I won't drink alcohol ever again in my life because I want you more than that. And obviously for some reason you want me not to do that and there's something else you want to do in my life. Now, let's just read the next bit and just connect this next verse to this. This is about taking up a cross and to follow him. For, whatever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So whoever wants to save his life will lose it. What does that mean? Everybody who lives for the temporal and goes after the temporal will lose their life. They won't have an eternity with God. They'll lose the life they have. Uh, but then it says... But whoever loves his, loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, we know ultimately that is when you give your life to Jesus and you surrender your life to him. That you, that's the, the moment you get born again. You're, the old self has gone, the old life has gone, it's dead, buried, crucified. You now have a new life in him. You're a new creation. You become a child of God. But obviously in that life that we now live, there's obviously a way that we live where we have to consistently deny self or temptation or the things that we might like and continually choose who God is in our lives. And we've been hearing some of that is stirring up the gift, the fire and all of that that is uh, within us. So as we walk with him, there'll be different things that God will speak to you and I about individually where he graces us then to live in the way that he wants us to. So the same thing that happened to me, I don't know how many years ago now, as it did with Beth, and uh, to do with alcohol. And, uh, and I, 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 wasn't, I didn't drink much anyway, really. Um, but God spoke to me and, and he, he just said, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to drink alcohol anymore. And, um, and it was like, yeah, okay. Um, and... At the time, we were working with a lot of young people. A lot of them weren't saved. A lot of them had drink issues and all of that kind of thing. And, and partly it was you can live a life without drink that is totally fulfilled. And when you, you, you're around people that were getting drunk and doing this, you know, if you don't get drunk, you, you know, you, you're boring. You haven't got a life and that you get off your head at the weekend and all that kind of stuff. And, and to then meet somebody who's totally fulfilled without having to drink a drop and has got purpose, has got all of that kind of thing, that helps to speak into people's lives. Now, if you drink, that's fine. No problem. Do you know what I mean? Now, I used to, I used to do motocross years ago when I was a teenager and um, I really got into that, was racing and, and uh, doing that kind of thing. And it obviously really got a hold of me and... Um, I found it I, I, I know God allowed me to do it and I had a lot of fun and my parents allowed me to do it because most of the races were Sundays uh, and, um, and obviously, you know, obviously you know what my dad does and everything and, uh, and if one of your, your kids wants to go off racing on Sunday between April and October most Sundays and, uh, and it's like well where is he, where is he? oh he's, he's off racing doing motocross you know that could be a bit like well that doesn't look very good for him does it and, um, and when I said to my parents, can I race, but maybe every other Sunday or whatever, they came back to me and this is what they said to me. They said, okay, 
you can, you can do it, because we see you really want to do it, and, and in terms of the motorbike you got and looking after it and you're learning some stuff and maintaining all that sort of stuff, you want to enjoy it. But if we see it becomes more important to you than your relationship with the Lord, then you won't be able to race. You can keep your bike and enjoy it, but you just won't be able to go racing on it, okay, on a Sunday. So I walked away from that conversation thinking, wow, they haven't said, no, you can't. They basically said, it's down to you. It's your responsibility. If you want to enjoy this, that's fine. But if it becomes more important than who God is, then you can still have it and enjoy it, but you won't be able to do this and the other. So anyway, a couple of years later, it I, I was really got into it, and and I and I knew that I needed to finish, like not racing anymore. And uh, God spoke to me about coming to the Bible school, and I was like, yeah, right, okay, great. And, and I'd said to the guys who were running at the time, yeah, I'd like to come, interview, chat, and everything else. And um, so I was going to come at the beginning of whatever term it was, the first term of whatever year it was in 1847, whenever we started it. And, um, and as it began to get closer, I thought, well, maybe I'll delay it a year. Maybe I'll just... I, I had a job at the time, and, and, uh, and I thought, right, maybe I'll just work for another year and, and all that and, and just race for another year and then go to the Bible college. And, and I thought, well, that'd be great because while I'm working, I could save up a bit more money. Even though my parents had said, we'll pay for you to be at the Bible college, I thought, well, that'd be good if I saved the money and pay for it myself. And I was kind of trying to get a bit of an excuse in my head as to why it'd be good to race for another year before I have to, you know, because I, I knew God was saying, you know, I knew he was saying, don't do this anymore. And... Uh, and I had, to, I had to really, I really had to wrestle with that. Uh, uh, and it took me a couple of months, if I'm honest. Even though I'd set the date, I was coming here, and uh, and I got to the point where I had to, where it's like, okay, God, um, I choose to let go of it. And and I knew to deal with it, I had to, I had to get rid of everything that I had, my motorbike, or well, I had two of them at that point, both of them. Everything I had, all the stuff relating to it, I knew I had to sell all of it and not have any of it. And, uh, and the thought of that was, uh, was like, oh, my word, you know, because I felt like I would then have something missing in my life. Because often when, it, when we talk about denying ourselves or taking up our cross, or whatever, there, there are sometimes things in our lives that, that maybe before we get saved, we chase things. Because most people in life are chasing stuff. They're chasing something. And, uh, and sometimes in our lives, it, it can be possessions, it can be reputation, it can be image, it could be trying to accomplish something, whatever it is in our lives, that some of those things can feel like they've added, they add value to us. So the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content whether I have much or plenty or whether I am in need. He doesn't even say so that I have enough. He said, I've learned to be content when, I have, when I'm in plenty but also when I am in need because being in plenty doesn't make me feel like I've got more value or I've got more worth or I'm, I'm more... I've got security, and when I'm in need, it doesn't change my relationship with God, saying when I'm in lack, I feel nothing or I'm worthless, because his, his whole identity was not based on what he had or what he didn't have. Now, we live in a culture 
that is very, very based on, very much based on image, what you have, what you wear, uh, how you live, what it looks like. It's all surface, isn't it? As long as people don't get on the inside of me and discover all the, frag, the fragmentation going on, great. So I want to project a, an image that I'm, I'm doing all right, I'm doing good. So if God took some, if God removed something from your life, for example, would that, would you feel like you've lost something? See, what Jesus is saying here is if you live as a steward and you don't own your life and you don't own everything you have in the sense of it has got a hold of me, then when he says deny this or give away that or let go of this or stop doing that, we're coming from a bit of a not, not, not at the moment, but does something feel like it's missing? And so some of those things today, what we're going to do, if there is anything going on like that, we're just going to surrender those things. I'm not saying if there is, you have to get rid of it or give it. That's between you and God, whatever he says. If you don't say do this, then don't do anything. But is there anything that has a grip on your heart, whether something you own, something you have? Is it reputation? Is it image? Is it wanting to accomplish something and there's a drive in you for something? Whatever it might be. And so Jesus is saying, we have to deny yourself daily and pick up your cross. What is the cross? The cross is a selfless life. Now, that can only be lived in the Holy Spirit. We can't try, oh, I'm going to try and live a selfless life. I'm going to try and deny myself, try and do this. No. What's, what we've been doing? So to the Spirit. How do you do that? Stir up the fire. Stir up the gift. Stir up the fire. Shigadei. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. We're not trying to be holy. We're not trying to get somewhere. We're staying in the fire. Thank you, Lord. Ritaba. Thank you. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're staying in there. Therefore, it's easier then to let go of things or God to speak because some things in our life are not sin. But some of them just get in the way of what God's doing if we give them too much time and attention. Anyway, let's just finish. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world uh, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So what do we give in exchange for our souls? Our lives. So we're exchanging a soul-driven life and we're exchanging that for a spirit-lived life. So what's our response? To give him our lives. And then finally, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, uh, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. If, if we're struggling to deny self, it's going to be easy to deny Jesus. When, uh, when we stir up that gift and the fire that is within us, then it's easier to, be, to talk about Jesus because there's something in you that's more powerful than fear or reputation or what others might think uh, and all of that. And so we want to stir up that gift that is within us continually um, so that God can reveal and release through our lives what he wants to do. So let's stand up together, shall we?
Thank you, Lord. Do you want to come into the middle and uh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's funny with the motorbike thing. One side, I stopped racing and then um, I thought for a while, no, I'll just keep the bikes. And, um, you know, just we had a field at the time we could, I could just mess about on them in. And, um, and I thought at least I can still mess about in the field or whatever. And what I found, what was weird, is once I made the decision I wasn't going to race anymore and definitely I'm going to the Bible college, um, I... About two or three months went past, and I hadn't even I hadn't ridden any of them. I hadn't I hadn't even gone down to do anything to them, or, or anything in terms of maintenance or clean. And and I realised, and I thought, wow, um, I'm not even interested in going and riding them now. Yet before it was like I didn't even want to stop racing, let alone you know you know. And and then it then it was easy to sell them. And when I and and when I sold them. I, it was amazing. I didn't feel like I'd lost anything or I was missing anything or suddenly I haven't got these bikes anymore that seemed to add something of sense of, you know, whatever in my life. And, and, and at the time, I can remember, because I just started here, and um, I can remember saying to the Lord, Father, I, in the, because of that, I said, God, I thank you that you, you are my fulfilment, that I don't need stuff to fulfil me. Funny thing is, when you don't go after things and you go whatever it might be, it's amazing how God sometimes blesses you with those things. Do you know what I mean? When you don't go after stuff or you don't go after this or the other, sometimes God blesses you in a way that you would never or you would never have the money to do certain things or you'd never buy that for yourself or you'd never do it or whatever. Um, but you still need to hold it lightly because if he blesses you with something, you never know. He might ask you to give it away or, or do something else with it. I don't know. Um, and I, I know for Jay and I, there's been several things that have happened in our lives where, where whether it is sort of, you know, we'd love to do this one day, you know, and it might be a holiday or a trip or something, but you think, well, we wouldn't spend the money on that because it's loads of money or whatever. And, and at different points, you, you end up getting blessed and, and somebody else says, hey... Um, have you thought about going here on holiday? We'd like to pay for it or, or whatever it might be. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. And, and, but you haven't been going after it. It's not like, we'd like to do that one day, so let's pray into it. Let's keep reminding the Lord about it and let's do all this. No, it's like, well, it'd be great one day, but there's, there's, there's too many other things we're doing involved in to think about that. Let's just, do you know what I mean? Because you're thinking eternal, not temporal. But on the way, God wants you to enjoy some temporal things that bless you because you're living for something eternal. Are you, are you there? Are you with me? Um, so this morning, as we just stand before the Lord, firstly, just thank him for what he's doing in your life. Thank him that you have his eternal Holy Spirit. Thank you you have his eternal, thank him that you have his eternal life in you today. Just thank him that he, you can sow to the spirit and not the flesh. You can sow to the eternal, not the temporal. Thank you, Lord. Just thank him that he saved you out of the temporal. 
Just thank him that he's given you the power, the authority to overcome the enemy who wants to drag you back into the temporal to live a temporal life. Just thank you, Father. I thank you. Give me victory over the enemy. You give me victory over the temporal. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. You've put your eternal life in me and I'm going to live with you forever. But I want to live for eternal purposes now. That's what this is about in this Mark chapter. It's about people's souls and us living for something eternal now to take others with us into eternity with God. That we don't want people's souls to be having an eternal uh, life without God, that's, that, that's why it's called hell. Because eternity without God is hell. I don't just mean just the place of hell, but I mean it, is, it would be like hell to live without God for eternity. And God wants to give us an eternal perspective and understanding of life so that we see others in the way that God does. There's a whole other message about hell. Hell is a real place. There's a whole other thing about that. Maybe we'll come to that at some point. What, what, what really is hell? What does that look like? And when we have a revelation of hell, we don't want anybody to go there. Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. And hell is not a popular subject or topic these days. Because everybody wants to go to heaven. Because that's nice. It doesn't upset people. It doesn't stir people. It doesn't cause people to have to make a response in their lives. I'm not, going, I'm not saying you go around telling everybody they're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But as believers, we need a revelation, an understanding of the reality of hell, eternity without him. And where the souls of men go... Souls of people go when they don't know Jesus. So as well as a revelation of his kingdom, of heaven and everything that we receive, also we need to understand the urgency of the hour. And that's because Jesus understood that. That's why he taught some of the things in there. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, in order to fulfill that, Peter, the elders, the chief priests, the religious guys, they're going to persecute me. They're going to hang me on a cross. No, 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 no. That's not the way. That's not the way. No, no, no. It says, Peter, you don't understand spiritual things. You don't understand eternal things. For the eternal purposes of the Father to be outworked, I've got to go through this. And he rebukes the enemy because the enemy wants to take Peter into a temporal mindset to stop Jesus fulfilling what he wants to do. The devil wants to take us into temporal mindsets to stop us fulfilling what God has called us to fulfill so that we live for the now and not the eternal. We get caught up with the things or the now of life, not with the eternal perspective of God's life and purpose. So we're simply just surrendering afresh this morning. Now, if there is anything that's come to mind while we've been just going into the Word this morning, if you know there's anything... Ask yourself this question, is there anything in my life that if I didn't have it, I would feel like I've lost something? Now there's a difference, I'm not talking about your husband or your wife, because on one level of course, that there's that natural grieving and you look, I'm talking about things that can have a grip on our lives, an attachment to our lives, a hold on our lives, or a place in our lives, like Beth was saying, it's something that had a place in her life. And God 
knew how to put the question that she understood the decision or the response she could make. God didn't just say straight away, Beth, stop drinking alcohol. Because she would go, well, why, why? He just simply said, do you want this more than me? Do you want this more than me? And of course her answer was, well, no, but I want you more than, I want you more than that. It's like Jesus talking to Peter, do you love me more than these? And so if there's anything going on in you, it could be, it could be a possession that you have, it could be something. Now, it, it doesn't mean that God's going to tell you to sell it or give it away necessarily. So I'm not saying that. If God tells you, you I don't know, it might be a particular possession you have. Maybe you collect things. Some people collect shoes. Some people collect watches. Some people collect stuff. Now, if you might be a collector of something. I don't know. Maybe the Lord says, do you love these more than me or do you want these more than me? Whatever it might be, is there anything? Some of you, I want to be sensitive here, okay? Some of you, you want to get married. And for some of you, that is quite a thing. I want to, I want to get married, I want to get married, I want to get married. Maybe that's something you just need to say, okay, Father, I surrender and submit that afresh to you. And I leave that with you right now. I'm not going to go after that in my mind, in my heart. Because our relationship with God and what we got is one of trust. Just leave it with him. Or whatever he might be saying. If there's anything else, possessions, reputation, image, wanting to accomplish stuff, wanting to feel like I've fulfilled something or I've done something or, or whatever it is, achieve something. Now, God's called us all to be fruitful and bear fruit that remains. And as we walk with him and we sow to the Spirit, as we've been talking about, he leads us into fruitfulness. Thank you, Lord. So anything you need to just surrender afresh to him, anything you need to give to him this morning, anything in one sense needs to be denied. Father, I just deny that, leave that with you, submit that to you. I let that go. Yeah, Father, that would have that has some value and attachment in my life. Father, I don't want it to have an attachment. I'm blessed with it, but I want to be a steward of it. And if you, Father, say to give it away or to sell it, then that's fine. Or if you say, stop chasing this, Jesus, I thank you that you are my fulfillment and that whatever I'm chasing is not going to fulfill me. I thank you that you are my fulfillment. I thank you that you are my satisfaction. That I don't have to go after that to feel like something's going to be added to my life that makes me feel something more worthy or, or, or whatever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whenever we give God space, he fills it. Whenever we give him space, he fills it. He fills it with himself. So, Father, we thank you right now. As we understand, we take up our cross daily. 
We take up that life you've called us to, that relationship you've called us to, that life of victory, because that's what the cross is. It's a life of victory. And I thank you that I have victory over the enemy, over temptation, over his seductions and everything else. I thank you for the victory that I have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just begin to thank him, shall we? Just lift your voices. It's pretty quiet. Quite quiet in here this morning. But just be, uh, whatever you're doing, just begin to put words to it in a, in a bit more of a f- kind of faith-filled way now. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You're giving me the victory. Thank you that I am an overcomer. I thank you, Lord. I praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to continue to stir up the gift that is within me. I want to continue to stir up the fire that is within me. I thank you, Lord, your fire, the fire of your spirit. I thank you. That enables me to be joyful always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. I praise your name. I praise your name. Father, I thank you. That enables me to be sensitive to your voice, your prophetic words and what you're bringing. I thank you. That enables me to test everything. It enables me to stay in the spirit, stay in the truth. I thank you, Lord. I praise your awesome name. I thank you for what you've equipped me with by your spirit. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Praise your name, Father. Praise your name. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what do we talk about towards the beginning? To kiss is to kindle. To kiss is to kindle. Jesus, I want to continually be kissing you. What what did God do when he created Adam? He formed him out of the dust of the earth. And then what did he do? He He came down and he breathed into his nostrils. He breathed life. He kissed him. He breathed into him and life came into Adam. So what happens when we kiss him, the Lord? Life gets released in a fresh way. The freshness of his life, the fire of his life, who he is breathes in us because we're being intimate with him. We're kissing him. Maybe just say to the Lord, Jesus, I want to kiss you more. I want to kiss you more. And I thank you that he kindles a fire that is not supposed to be put out because you want me to live at one with you and you at one with me. You want me to live intimately with you. I thank you, Lord. I praise your name for the fire, the fire, the fire. It's interesting how it says we stir up the fire. God has put it in us, but we stir up and kindle that fire. So we thank you, Lord, for the fire that is in us. And we continue to press in this week to everything you want to do, everything you want to release in and through our lives this week. Father, we thank you for your grace to pray this week at lunchtimes, to encounter you in the evenings and pray in the prayer watches that you've assigned to us, given to us to stand in and to pray in this week. We thank you for the fire that's going to be stirred, your purposes that are going to be released. We thank you for salvation that's going to come as a result, miracles that are going to be released, stuff that's going to happen. We thank you that there's some stuff out there that is not going to happen because of what is prayed this week, that is, that is not supposed to happen. But if we don't pray, some things will happen if we don't pray. So Father, I thank 
thank you for that, that release in the prayer room, in that place of watching this week. I thank you for salvation and miracles and your purposes being outworked through our lives. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. We praise your name, Father. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to have a good week this week. It's going to be good. Going to be good. Going to be good. You know, when you live with the fire, you, you live with a lightness in your spirit. You live in a, there's a sense of peace and, and yeah, well-being. There's a lightness in your spirit in terms of your well-being. But then when you pray, there's a weightiness that then starts to get released. When you worship, there's a weightiness, there's a wah, there's a roar that begins to get released. Why? Because when you stir up a fire, what does it do? It roars. <laughs> How many of you love roaring? <laughs> And so when you worship, there's a roar that comes. When you pray, there's a sound to it because there's a weightiness. So there's a lightness, but there's a weightiness. And so we want to live in that this week. Amen. So let's sow to the Spirit, shall we? Keep stirring up that gift that is within us. Don't allow the enemy to seduce you in any way. Don't give in to seduction, temptation. Stir up the fire. It doesn't have a place then to get a hold. Instead, the desires that are fired up in you, his desires, his longings, his passions. So, Father, we thank you. We praise your awesome name for all you're going to do this week across the whole church in every setting of prayer and worship and everything else going on in your mighty name. Everybody said amen, amen. amen. Okay, be blessed. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.